0: We need to talk when has that ever been fun to hear well it might not feel good to you but it might be real good for you let's talk about it this is pull up a chair i'm your host josh mitchell and welcome to pull up a chair a place to unpack our beliefs unlearn our myths and uncover ourselves today i want to answer a question why are we here no not why were we born or What are we here to do in life, but why are we here right now, in this moment? You and I, listening and talking in this conversation called Pull Up a Chair. Why pull up a chair? Why is it important? Previously, I said I believe if we understand ourselves better, understand our needs, what is necessary for us to grow and improve, then we can better understand each other better understand our culture, better understand our surroundings and how to improve our environment, how to make a difference. But what is necessary to do that? How do we better understand each other and ourselves? Well, we need an environment. We need a setting where we can come, learn about ourselves, ask ourselves difficult questions, hear from others. And the perfect and really only setting where this is truly possible, is a conversation. Whether it's live or recorded, whether it's written or it's spoken, we need a place we can come and earn, excuse me, I should say learn, information from other people about how they work and how they feel. In turn, we also need to ask ourselves questions about why we work the way we do, why we feel the way we do and if we better understand ourselves in turn, we'll be better equipped to help others. A conversation is the most powerful tool we have to do this, and that's why it's necessary for us to pull up a chair. The idea for this show came from an experience I had early in my college career. It was the beginning of second semester of my freshman year at The Ohio State University which is a predominantly white institution, the third largest of its kind in the United States. I'm studying social work and communications with the goal of becoming both a motivational speaker and an in-school social worker. I believed coming to Ohio State was my opportunity to break out of a bubble that I had been in, being raised in the suburbs, going to a predominantly white private Christian school my entire school career, from preschool all the way to senior year of high school. While I am a black man and come from an all-black family, my environment was very white. And while Ohio State was not the most culturally diverse of places, it was much more racially and ethnically diverse than any other campus I had ever gone to. My thought process was simple. Write down some goals that'll help you burst out of your bubble so to speak the suburban predominantly white christian bubble this wasn't to say i would no longer be following jesus but on the contrary i wanted to be part of groups of people who were christian yes but also people who were nothing like me to keep it simple i wanted to engage with people and hang around people who did not look like me who did not think like me who did not love like me and who didn't worship like me. Whether this meant finding people who are not Christian, or finding people who were not from the United States or born in the United States, finding people who didn't identify as heterosexual, or just finding people with different career interests than my own. I wanted to make sure I wasn't operating in an echo chamber. I wanted to make sure I surrounded myself with a diverse group of thinkers. But I also needed like-minded people who would push me, people I could trust for accountability, people who knew what I was about and could speak to me. I thought I would start by attending an early arrival program called the Bell National Resource Center on the African-American male. For one of the first times in my life outside of church, I was surrounded by a group of black men who was present for the same reason I was. Everyone there was looking for peers who looked like them. But we were all different. We came from different parts of the country. We had different career interests. We had different majors. We had different stories. But what brought us together was the common bond we share as black men, as brothers. That week, the first week of the early rival program, which took place right before classes started, I went to an involvement fair at the involvement fair. Anything with black music or Jesus on it, I signed up for, including a Bible study group called Crew Campus Crusade for Christ. I walked in to the first meeting they had, which was the Sunday before classes started. It's called Real Life. For those of you who are from Columbus, it was at the Newport Music Hall off High Street, right across the street from Ohio State's campus. It could hold over 500 people easily, and there were over 300 people there. When I walked in by myself, intentionally, I looked for a place to sit, and I just chose the left side because why not? Immediately, I saw an entire colony, an entire group of people I went to high school with at my private Christian high school. I said to myself, Well, Here we go. I I know what this is about. This is going to be exactly how high school was. We're going to talk about Jesus, but not about taboo, taboo topics. We're going to explore our faith. We're going to hear from dynamic speakers. We're going to sing the same five or six praise and worship songs over and over and over again. Most of which are probably songs that I wouldn't listen to if it wasn't for this movement. And nine out of every 10 people here are going to be white. And maybe that 10th person looks like me. No, thank you. I'm good. I already know exactly what this is going to be like. So for the first couple weeks, I stuck around. I went, but I didn't really get involved. I went to the Bible study because I knew some guys there. But I wasn't sure I would find my community here. I didn't think this aligned with my goals. This was everything that the bubble already had and nothing that I needed. Until, one Sunday, I walked in to see a panel being set up on the stage. There were two chairs facing each other. One was occupied by a European brother named Daniel Bonavita. And the other by a West African girl named Malaika Sise. They sat down as the hosts of this panel and introduced a new series, Crew, would be starting to engage the Christian community with taboo topics and subjects that aren't often discussed in church because they can be controversial or polarizing. The name of the series, Pull Up a Chair. The very first week, which took place right before Black History Month, at the end of January, was a series done by a husband and wife, from, I believe, Peniscola, Florida. They were on staff with crew, they were ministers, and they talked about the way racism had infected the church. Not only did they speak so eloquently and so elaborately about the history of racism in the United States and segregation and why the black church was even founded, but they had a Q and A session afterwards about what we can do as a movement, as Christians, To reach out to people, to minister to people, to befriend people who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't act like us. In other words, what this couple was trying to get us to do was understand their mission, which was the gospel of Jesus, was bigger than the people who looked like them. And it took pulling up a chair in this interview style series to uncover there was truth to be found there was knowledge to be found in listening to people you wouldn't otherwise see a lot of us live in an echo chamber we follow people on instagram who already affirm our beliefs our friends are our friends because they act like us because they agree with us because their experiences are similar to us And while we need people of a like mind, of similar goals to push us further in our purpose, we become silos and we become stuck if everyone in our circle thinks the same way. If we all have the same strengths or the same perspectives, we also all have the same blind spots, all have the same weaknesses. It takes pulling up a chair, sometimes, not only to see the strengths in others, but to see the weaknesses yourself that's why this show is called pull up a chair that's why we need to discuss things with each other because sometimes the conversation with someone else turns into a mirror for you to look at you for you to see what areas of improvement you have in your life so you can grow wherever your career takes you wherever your life takes you your relationships your hobbies eventually you are going to encounter people who are not like you, who have a difference in one way, shape, or form. You're also going to encounter problems that are based on these differences. Here in the United States, we suffer not only economic issues, but civil issues, political issues, financial issues, medical issues, spiritual issues, as a result of a lack of understanding a different group of people. So what happens when we have a conversation with them? We better understand them and their identity as people, not as projects. And then we can use that information, use the relationships that are formed to solve some of these issues, but also to improve ourselves. Let me say it like this. Quick story for you. I'm going to take you back four years prior to the pull up a chair series in college. To another time, I was confronted with this idea of change and this idea of learning from other people in high school. Yes, in my private, predominantly white suburban high school, I was challenged to listen to the views and opinions and experiences of others. It comes from a story, a popular story that I believe most high schoolers either had to read or hear about at one point in their high school career. The Great To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. In ninth grade, my English teacher had us read this story and do a project on the man she believed was the main character, Atticus Finch. Now, Atticus Finch in this story, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is the father of the narrator scout he encounters a racially charged issue with a man named Tom who is accused of abusing a white woman. But Atticus chooses to represent this man legally. In fact, he has compassion on him, which gets him in quite a bit of trouble, socially speaking, with the people in his community. Scout asks him why. Why do this? And in the conversation in the book, Atticus utters these words to his daughter, Scowl. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. Until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. Until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. What well, Atticus is telling his daughter in this story is she can't understand this black man, what he's been accused of, the way he's feeling, the way he's operating, until she lives his life. Now, for this little girl, that's impossible. She will never be an adult man. She will never be black. She will never know Tom's experience. But what she could do is listen to him, hear his perspective to better understand the fear he's experiencing, the pressure he's experiencing, the chaos going on in his life, just on account of him being black and being accused of this heinous crime. Now, spoiler alert, Tom is innocent. He is not guilty of the thing for which he's being charged. But regardless, he still carries that pain. He still carries that pressure. And he's still looked at as a criminal, as a monster, As a burden to his community, Atticus is saying to Scout, if only you could crawl into his skin, if only you could live the life he lived, then you would truly understand him. And Scout's perspective is changed, not by having a conversation with Tom, but by having a conversation with Atticus, with her father, who knows Tom, and by seeing the way Atticus interacts with Tom, not as a stranger. Not as an enemy, but as a person. As a human being. We encounter that in our society right now. And when I talk about our society, I'm not even talking about the larger scope of American politics. I'm talking about your neighborhood. I'm talking about your school. I'm talking about your church. I'm talking about your relationships. My question to you is, whose skin do you know? Whose shoes are on your rack? another way this saying goes is until you put on his shoes until you put on someone else's shoes and walk a mile in them you'll never understand them you'll never understand their life but whose shoes are on your rack outside of your own two feet whose story can you relate to whose experiences resonate with you the only way for this to happen the only way for you to have any experience of Understanding someone else's life, understanding someone else's feelings, understanding someone else's story is to listen. Now, some stories are easier to understand than others. Some experiences, for example, for me as a Christian, as a male, it is easier for me to identify with someone who's experiencing church hurt, someone who's been hurt by the church because I grew up in church. I understand what it is like to go to church every week, to come up in church. I understand the customs and the traditions of it fairly well. But I can't relate to someone who's felt that same church hurt from the outside, being a visitor, being looked at as the stranger. Because I was never the stranger. I was always the family member. I was always the friend. I was always the brother, the nephew, the cousin. And while I may never be in that person's shoes, quite literally, I may never have the experience they have. By sitting down and listening, I can understand. And as a leader in church, I can make steps to make sure that another person doesn't have the experience this person did. But in order for that to happen, I have to welcome them to a table. I have to have a conversation with them. I have to have a relationship with them. Then I can add their shoes to my rack. Whose skin do you know? Whose skin do you not? Here in Pull Up A Chair, I want us to not only unpack our beliefs. Why do we believe the things we do, but unlearn some myths? Because you might have seen that person who came in a little selfishly. You might have seen them incorrectly. You might have judged them before you got the opportunity to know them. And you were taught that too because of the shoes you've walked in, because of the skin you already know. So it's going to take a conversation. My question to you is, who are you viewing maybe in a negative light? Let's talk about prejudice just for a quick second. Whose skin do you need to better know? Whose shoes do you need to give a try? Maybe for you, it's a past relationship. Maybe your view of the opposite sex is skewed because of a bad experience you had. Maybe for you, it's people in your school or your teachers, people of a certain walk of life. Let's be real. Is it a Muslim population or a Jewish population or a Christian population? Is it a queer population, members of the LGBTQ plus Community. Whose skin do you need to better know? Ask yourself this question. It's going to become valuable for you. It's going to become vital for you as you push forward, as you grow. Because eventually, you are going to come into contact with the very group of people you understand the least. The echo chamber that we live in is temporary. Not only does it make us us feel good, but oftentimes... It protects us. It keeps us feeling safe. We feel most at home with people who look like us. We feel safe. And this is basic psychology. This is basic communications. Think about it. When you were a baby, who were the first people you saw? It was probably your mom. Probably doctors, family members, parents that became your tribe the people that you associate with the most and pretty soon you started speaking their language not because they sat you down and put you in a language arts class but just because you heard it enough eventually one day you started speaking sentences and they were probably english if your parents spoke english and they were probably spanish if your parents spoke spanish Or another language. Why? Because those were the people around you the most. So if all you knew. Was English. As soon as someone started speaking Spanish. It was foreign to you. You couldn't understand a word. But then what happened. When you were two or three or four. Your parents sat you down in front of the TV. And perhaps Dora was on. And Dora started saying phrases like and And maybe you didn't understand what it meant But you knew it wasn't English And soon you knew a couple of different words in Spanish Maybe you could count to ten Or you could say a couple colors Or you could say we did it Why? Because without you knowing it Dora was having a conversation with you Now I know this might sound foolish This dude talking about Dora the Explorer And what language I spoke as a baby But what I'm trying to show you is from the moment you were born, you were being taught to group yourself with people who think like you. But what happened when you encountered someone who doesn't, someone who spoke a different language, someone who had a different experience, you were forced outside of that box and you had to hear from them, hear a little bit about their story. Even if it was a cartoon story and the character was made up, you had to learn In your mind, to pull up a chair and listen. That's how we grow. So why do we talk? Why do we need to talk? That might have a negative connotation to it. When you hear the phrase, we need to talk, it's not inviting at all. When you think of it, you might think of some drama between a girlfriend and a boyfriend normally it's a serious disagreement maybe it's even a deal breaker maybe the lady told the man we need to talk because they about to break up (laughs) regardless when you hear we need to talk that ain't a fun phrase it's not exciting to hear it might be the end of a relationship maybe the person who told you they need to talk is your parents and you about to get in trouble Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your coworker. But nine times out of 10, if you hear the phrase, we need to talk, something bad about to happen afterwards. Maybe the girlfriend has something to say to her partner that he doesn't already understand. But there's a reason she's telling him they need to talk. They need to discuss something. She needs to clarify something. You need to better understand something. Because if you already understood it, there would be no reason to talk. So what about the people around you do you not understand? What do you need to talk about? Is it someone's behavior? Why they act the way they do? Or dress the way they do? Maybe it's their language. For some reason or another, you're here because you're willing to talk. You're willing To have difficult conversations Willing to ask hard questions And not just talk to others But in a weird convoluted way Maybe it's talking to yourself Ask yourself Why do I behave this way Towards people of the opposite sex Who's in my circle That's pushing me In the direction I need to go Is there a voice I'm not hearing Is there a perspective I'm not understanding Ask yourself these three questions. What goals do I have for myself that involve other people? Maybe it's a career goal. Maybe it's a personal goal. Maybe it's a spiritual goal. Maybe it's a financial goal. What goals do you have set for yourself that require other people? Think of that goal. Think of what you want to do. Let's say your goal is to graduate college. You're gonna to need to interact with some professors. You're gonna need probably to do some group projects. You're gonna to have to encounter people. Let's say that goal for you is to get a new job. You're gonna to need to apply. You're probably gonna to need to sit down and do an interview. Maybe that goal for you is to be a better boyfriend, a better girlfriend, a better partner, a better spouse. You're gonna to need to talk to their partner. You will go out, you'll sit down, you'll have dinner. You can't do it by yourself. Maybe you just need to be a better friend. Maybe you need to treat yourself better. Whatever that goal is, if and when it involves other people, you must pull up a chair. I want to close today with a quote. This quote is from Beverly Daniel Tatum, the writer of a book that I encourage all of you to get called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? <laughs> We're going to unpack this a little bit more in next week's episode. But this is what the quote says. And before I before I read it, I want to preface. This quote answers the question on the cover. Why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? Why are all the people who look alike sitting together? Well, this is why. Beverly Daniel Tatum on, it, on discussing why... Racial reconciliation is necessary, but more importantly, why issues of race lead us to isolate ourselves or group ourselves with people who look like us. Says this. One reason students from similar similar racial backgrounds may gather together is that connecting with peers who are having a similar experience as your own serves as a buffer, as a protective force. She goes on to say, it is also a way of affirming your identity. She said, connecting with peers who are having a similar experience as your own serves as a buffer. It protects you and it also affirms your identity. The black kids sat together at the cafeteria because they felt they were all they had. The only people who could understand them were themselves and each other the people who look like them the people who think like them the people who have similar traditions and customs to them the people who listen to the same music have the same hairstyle wear the same clothes go home to the same neighborhood they can protect each other they have this buffer this buffer from what this buffer from being misunderstood this buffer from being appropriated this buffer from being disrespected See, the black kids were the minority in the school. Few people looked like them. In a school that's more diverse, you might not see this. Yes, the black kids may sit together, but that's because almost all of them are black. My school wasn't that way. Of course, I gravitated to people whose skin was my color. Because it could affirm me in my identity. It could push you. I'm not gonna argue with Beverly Daniel Tatum. She's a psychologist, seasoned educator, way more informed than me, but I wanna challenge you. Could your identity also be affirmed by people who look nothing like you? Is it possible that you actually need a refresher? You actually need people whose stories are different from your own for you to understand the value in your story why is that value there whose shoes do you need to walk in where do you need to pull up a chair ask yourselves these questions today and next week when we come back we'll talk about them more thank you for listening this is pull up a chair